Hello, friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where we aim to change the culture one conversation at a time. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern, or catch the encore at 5 p.m. We are also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Of course, our radio show is always a podcast. Go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I thank you for joining us again this week. We love our constant listeners, and we're proud and honored to have you. This week we'll be talking about and to the Knights of Columbus, one of my favorite Catholic organizations because it it helps to connect men not only to their faith but to their their fabulous genius, which is the genius of responsibility and safeguarding and charity. And they do the knights do so much good across the world. And it's again one of my favorites. And uh, we'll be talking today to three different knights. They the whole the organization is in Florida doing their annual convention with over two thousand people. And three of these special men will be joining us. We're going to talk to Dennis Gerber. He's the president and CEO of the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund. Um, Not sure what that means, but he's going to tell us all about it, and I'm sure it's doing wonderful work. Uh, We also talk with Damian O'Connor, who's the vice president of evangelization and faith formation as the Knights of Columbus um, move from being a service organization into being very um, intentionally also an organization of faith and formation and evangelization. And we'll hear all about that from Damien. First, we'll talk to Shimon Chizek, a hard Polish name to pronounce. He's the Director of International Growth and Europe in Europe, and he's been in charge of the effort, the enormous effort that the Knights of Columbus have done helping um, refugees uh, from the that are running away from the Ukraine uh, Russia conflict um, they are also working in 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 the Ukraine with uh, people who have not only been displaced but have lost everything that they have and we're excited to talk to him now I'm delighted to welcome on the show Shimon Chizek he's the director of international growth in Europe for the Knights of Columbus and he is going to tell us all about how the Knights are helping in Europe now, especially with the, um, with the humanitarian relief that they are doing in Ukraine and Poland with Russians' invasion of Ukraine. So welcome to the show, Shimon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Gracie. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. Your last name is Chizek, and it reminded me of, of the, the blessed um, Jesuit priest, who spent time in a long time in a Soviet uh, gulag uh, of a very similar last name? I know it's not spelled the same, um, but he was very. He he wrote uh, a book called "He Leadeth Me," which we've I think we've talked about on this show. But it's very it's very inspiring about how as human beings we can we can um, we can confront the the catastrophes of life, which are all around us uh, in some places more than others. Um, you, uh, from your with your position in Europe with the Knights of Columbus, you are in the midst of confronting and helping other people endure the catastrophe of war. Yeah, so um, Knights of Columbus is uh, really uniquely situated to respond to this war in Ukraine. Uh, we have more than 9,000 members in Poland and Ukraine, so we already had an infrastructure to respond very quickly and effectively. But speaking about Father Cishek and when he, what he wrote in his book about how to respond to this um, uh, to the course of action or, or in your life that really does not go according to your plan and it's not you experience a lot of suffering this is a similar um, uh, dimension that we uh, really have to struggle with when we see the consequences of the war and many people ask me uh, where is god in this um, amid this suffering mm-hmm. and the answer i always give is the answer that john paul ii offered in his book memory and identity when he was asked the question about the mystery of evil and he said that god placed a limit on the evil by his mercy and every um, type of work that we do today 
to show um, you know, mercy and charity to people of Ukraine is a way to show to them that God has not abandoned them and is present and cares for them. So with every care package, every piece of clothing, power generator, we show the suffering people of Ukraine that they are not alone. And this is the witness that we can offer to people today. That's a very powerful thing, especially when so many so many of us feel so powerless in the face of evil, um, the evil that's happening there where where you are, and other other types of evil. But the Knights of Columbus um, do help us to with, with their with with that activity that that makes the mercy of God um, materially felt, right? And when it, when we feel things materially, we also feel them spiritually. Yes, uh, exactly. When you are f- faced with uh, this strength of evil, uh, you sometimes feel helpless. But as the Knights of Columbus, in, for our work, for our witness, we want to show people that, no, in the face of evil, you can respond and you can collaborate with God's will to bring people hope. And this this is what we see on a daily basis when we uh, respond to the suffering people of Ukraine. I remember when the war started, there were millions of people f- uh, flowing into Poland. I remember seeing a mother of who just delivered a child seven days earlier, and she had to uh, run away from Kiev by on foot uh, to Poland. So to see this uh, young mother with a seven day seven day old child, I had this question of isn't uh, the delivery of child uh, a reason for hope and joy? But in in her case, it was a reason for you know suffering and really you know huge anxiety. But we were there to welcome her and to show her that she is not alone. That she that we see in her. Uh, the face of our uh, of our Lord, and we are there to support her in, in any way we can. And that's really uh, just a, one small aspect or one example of how the Knights respond creatively and courageously to this to the very suffering of Ukraine people because of the war. So that is that is a wonderful thing that people in the midst of this great suffering, and and I'm I'm it shocks me, you know, to hear of a woman having to to flee on foot seven days after a birth, and I'm sure she's carrying her baby with her, who's yeah. delicate, extremely delicate. Um, for the for people like like the knights um, to be to be present in those moments, and how how valuable that must be. But what is the materially and um, more uh, nuts and bolts? What what do the knights do uh, in general in the in this conflict in Ukraine? Yes, yeah, so um, so since the beginning of the war, Supreme Knight uh, Patrick Kelly uh, offered uh, offered great leadership because he established within 36 hours from the beginning of the war Ukraine Solidarity Fund, where he committed 1.5 million dollars to the to the suffering people of Ukraine. But the response of people from the United States and Canada was. Uh, was so um, beautiful uh, because people saw that the knights can go and respond very quickly and effectively, and people wanted to contribute to, to the Ukraine Warrior Fund. Today, we raised over $21 million. And what do we do with the, with the money? Because it's not only about raising the money. It's really how we can bring help in a very tangible way to people of Ukraine. So what do we do? We created um, mercy centers across the border. So when the Ukrainian people were coming in, uh, they could be welcomed with uh, some food, some warmth. We had also sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. So people can experience a little bit of mercy from uh, from the sisters and also the brother knights who were there serving them. We created a charity convoy. We sent over 7.2 million pounds of goods and supplies. Um, uh, this is a very tangible way of showing people that we care and, 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 and we want to show them our love. And, you know, the challenges that the Ukrainian people are suffering today are, you know, long term and, and you know, so we, we provide food, we provide this housing, we provide psychological counseling. Imagine 80% of Ukrainians need some kind of a psychological counseling. And what we did, for example, is we organized workshop sessions for veterans who return from the front lines and their spouses. Because we know that it's very important that amid the suffering, and uh, we need to support families. And just to tell you a story, during the first session, we had psychologists, but we also had a priest. And the priest offered to hear confessions. None of the men decided to come. They've seen too much. The spiritual wounds that they carried were too deep. Mm. Uh, but at the next session, 
when the, uh, the priest came again and he offered confessions again, all the men came. Oh. All, the, all the men went to hear to, for confession. And the, one of the wives said after the, the, this, this workshop, uh, after this workshop, she said this, the only reason I decided to come here was to see my husband reconciled with our Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we as the Knights of Columbus can do and offer, that we not only are an agency that wants to come, you know, parachute in and help uh, with different aspects. There are many agencies that do this, but what we do is that we bring a faith perspective to, to all the work that we do. And that, that example of the wife who feels that, well, we not only cared about her material, material needs, but we also cared about spiritual needs of her and her husband. That's something that we, we do as the Knights of Columbus. So that's a very special niche that you fill, right? Because there must be many, many NGOs which are laudably helping the situation, uh, the people who are caught up in it. Um, but the Knights of Columbus offer a spiritual dimension that, in my opinion, as as a, as a, as a religious Catholic, uh, is indispensable because um, without the mercy of God, how do you heal from this kind of trauma uh, and even the trauma of displacement? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. We want to, in the work that we do, we want to offer proper Christian anthropology. Um, and, and that's something that uh, is very important. You know, the um, when I hear the, uh, you know, that, that, you know, all the stories and I meet people, you know, I hear um, the story from this young woman, she's 25 years old, and she says that she attended in her life more funerals than weddings. You see that this uh, the circle of suffering that people have, and, and we as the Knights, what we want to do is to really bring to people the sense that they are not alone, and we are there for them to support them uh, along the way, you know, from getting out of this of the consequences of the war, and and we bring it as Catholics, and in the work we do, we want to bring Catholic um, dimension. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, this is Conversations with Consequences, and I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. We're speaking to Shimon Chizek. He's the director of international growth in Europe for the Knights of Columbus. And he has been um, sp spending much of his energies on uh, helping displaced people in the Ukraine and in, and in Poland, um, displaced by the, by the terrible war that's been going on for some time now. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. Tell me, Shimon, where are you? You mentioned several hundred knights are, are involved in this work. Where are these knights from and, and how many of them are there? And how is it that they are able to manage this kind of dedication? Yes, so um, we have more than 2 million brother knights in the United States and Canada, and also in a number of other countries, but mostly in the United States and Canada. But also, uh, uh, we are uniquely situated to respond to the situation in Ukraine because we have uh, more than 9,000 members in Poland and Ukraine. So there are brother knights who are on the ground working day and, day and night uh, to support people in need. I can tell you the story. Uh, we we produce more than 225,000 care packages uh, with basic food supplies for suffering people. And and the work that is done by our brother knights is, is a serious work. They bring these care packages to the front lines uh, of the war. And one of our brother knights, when he traveled in his car to get, it, uh, get this aid to people we need, actually... A bomb uh, dropped in front of his car and exploded. So you see, this work really has uh, consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we have a conversation uh, of consequences, and, and and the work that the knights yes. <laughs> doing have, can have consequences. You know, and they can. It's not only about moving boxes. Actually, they are risking their lives to help people who stayed behind, who really did not know where to go. But what we do is that we want to show them that they are not alone. So this is, and we can do this because of this infrastructure. The Knights of Columbus have been in Poland since 2006, in Ukraine since 2012. So we've built the the network relationships, and that really helps us to be so effective in the work that we do. You mentioned that the Knights have raised over 20 million dollars um, for this effort in the Ukraine, and and I was wondering how the it's 
when when people are always asking for money, right? And and everybody yes. and very and Americans are very generous, and we like yes. to we like to to contribute. What is it about the Knights that makes people uh, confident that their money is being spent well? Yeah, so we we spend one hundred percent of the funds raised to su support those people that we serve. So there's no overhead. The uh, so there are no uh, there's no money taken for administration other things. This is covered by our uh, Knights of Columbus funds separately. So all those funds that we raise, every hundred percent of that is spent to support those in need. So I think that that gives does that does uh, that make you very rare amongst NGOs that are helping in the in that area. I think it's pretty unique because we want to tell the donors that the dollar you give to the Knights of Columbus, this dollar will be spent to support those in need. So there'll be no overhead. And I think that's actually very unique so that we can fund our um, operations through, from other sources of the Knights of Columbus regular funds and dedicate 100% to those in need. But also I think what, what we are unique about is that we have the infrastructure, we have the relationships, and uh, and and really what's very important is that when the Knights get involved they are there for the long haul. And that's what our Supreme Knight, Patrick Kelly, said, that as the Knights of Columbus will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Because we, we don't do this because uh, of political reasons. We do this because we are first um, Catholics. We are first uh, in faith as in charity. And that's the theme of the Supreme Convention that we are meeting right now uh, um, at uh, in Orlando. But that's... that, that this power of moral commitment uh, that the Knights showcase today is something that I think uh, can inspire and really give a lot of credibility uh, to the Knights uh, and, and I think the donors can trust that that we are there for the long haul and we want to uh, support people in a very tangible way. I, I think that that's a very important thing because many people in the United States and I'm sure the rest of the world are frustrated with with this war that uh, seems to drag on and maybe not and maybe we don't always feel confident that that our government is taking the right stance perhaps uh, in in helping this war wind down and but this frustration can be relieved by by helping with the humanitarian effort, and especially as as religious people through an organization like the Knights, where we know that, our, like you say, the money is being spent one hundred percent on on the people that need it, but also that it's being spent in a way that that we can feel morally um, confident, no, that that it's mm -hmm. being spent in a moral way, and and then that must be something that the Knights are very careful about. That's exactly right. The, uh, the 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 work we do is there to support um, uh, you know, people in need, but we do it as Catholics first, mm -hmm. not as politicians. We are doing this because we are Catholics, and we want to show the the power of solidarity that cuts through the political lines and goes to the heart of the matter and goes to people who are in need. And because if somebody somebody's hungry, you don't ask them if they are, you know, a supporter of one or other political exactly. party. We we uh, we support them because we see in them the face of Christ and we want to show them and that we want to follow in our work the teaching of our Lord. Shimon, you have been in Europe um, as the taking your your bigger mission is uh, the overall growth of the Knights of Columbus in Europe. Uh, I understand. How long have you been doing that? And and is and is the Knights of Columbus a natural fit for Europe? Because it seems to me a very American organization. Yes, this is uh, this is a great question. Uh, the Knights of Columbus have expanded into Europe in uh, uh, early 2000s at the request of St. John Paul II, who saw what the Knights have been doing in the United States and Canada, he thought that this is a, a contribution that the Knights of Columbus can, can make to help uh, re-evangelize Europe through the Knights of Columbus by uh, empowering laymen to take responsibility for their uh, for their families for their parishes this could bring about a renewal of the church in europe and that was the vision behind the growth of the knights of columbus in europe in poland first and ukraine lithuania 
and France, and that's uh, that's why we are we are there in in, in Europe. I will also say this: that yes, Knights of Columbus is a, a predominantly American U.S.-based uh, organization, but our founder, Blessed Michael McGivney, is an example of a priest who knew how to work with the lay people. And today, we need very much all over the world. And so why we can be very far away from New Haven, uh, where the Knights of Columbus started, we are very close to Father McGivney because we see in him an example of a priest who knew what is the proper role of the priest and the proper role of the laity in the life of the parish. You know, I, what I like very much about the Knights of Columbus is that it's a masculine organization. And um, Many Catholics uh, will find, as I do, that the church seems very feminine sometimes. You go to Mass in the morning on your daily Mass, and it's mostly women, right? And uh, sometimes you wonder if men are, are being pulled into the parish properly to exercise their fatherly and masculine um, genius, right? Which is so important yeah. to the church. Do you find that in Europe, um, this kind of masculinity and... and, and Sort of giving giving scope to the masculine spirit is is very attractive. Yeah, I think so. I think that the Knights of Columbus uh, offer a unique opportunity for the man to uh, rediscover the vocation, the proper role within the church, and that's something that is very much needed in the United States, but also in Europe. Yes, you are right to say that there are many women who are involved in the church, and that's beautiful. And But there's also a very important role that the men can and should play in the role of the church. And uh, I always look at the example of uh, St. Joseph. Maybe he didn't say too much in his uh, life. We don't have anything um, that recorded in the, in the Gospels that, that he said. But what he did, well, he was a man of creative courage. He was the man who was not afraid to respond to the challenges and and by listening to the will of God through his dreams, he had this disposition to listen to the will of God. He was a man of action. And that's something that we want to also promote within the Knights of Columbus, to have men who have a disposition to listen to the will of God, be open and, uh, and uh, able to hear the will of God, and then based on that, go out and act. And that's something what the Knights of Columbus are about. And that kind of special uh, leadership quality that men have, that that men have, and that it, that they exemplify in such a beautiful way. I like. I happen to love love leadership in men. They have a a wonderful way of 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 leading, and and I think it's wonderful that uh, the the ones that, the Knights of Columbus uh, uh, can foster that leadership attitude in men in the parish. Exactly, exactly right. So our Supreme Knight says always that if you get the men right then you get your family right and your uh community right you you know and other things right and that's something that i think the knights can bring as a gift to the church of offering men a path how to grow in holiness in holiness how to be a better husband father parishioner and a citizen well and that's that's uh, a, a way to help everyone right if, if the men are getting that right like you say then the whole family goes right and the whole parish yeah. goes right that we yeah. only have a couple of minutes left, but um, I read in your in your bio that in 2016 you were the executive director of the Mercy Center in, for the English speaking pilgrims for World Youth Day in Krakow. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, just left for World Youth Day yesterday. Very excited to go to Lisbon. So, what was that like welcoming um, the English speaking pilgrims in that last World Youth Day? Because I think we haven't had one since, right? Because of COVID. Yes. Yeah, so. Um World Youth Day is a, a unique opportunity to show the uh, the young face of the church, but also to speak to the hearts of the young people um, what the vocation is about. Um, so I was it was a huge privilege for me to help run the English language Mercy Center at the World Youth Day in Krakow, where we welcome um, around one hundred thousand people from the United States and was that, other. I'm sorry, was country. that was that a Knights of Columbus initiative? Yes, yeah, so the Knights of Columbus have the history of supporting World Youth Day, and the Knights of Columbus, in this case, also run a, a Mercy Center, a huge sports arena that can, could host over 20,000 people at a time. And so, yeah, the Knights were behind all programming. We sponsored the whole event, and and we had a huge team running the uh, running place, yes. And, and that was uh, a very important uh, a contribution the Knights could make to really see the, or sh help show the, the, the young people what the church 
uh, teaches them or how, how can, can the church help them um, struggle or deal with the fundamental questions about what's my vocation, where I come from, where I'm heading to, and that I'm not alone. This message of solidarity or being together and with Christ is something that I think St. John Paul II had in mind when he established the World Youth Day in the 80s. And that's what I hope will happen again also in Lisbon, that the young people coming from all over the world, sometimes maybe from small communities, sometimes when they, feel, when they may feel alone, that they think that the world that surrounds them may question their choices, they come for the meaning and they can be renewed in their faith and renewed in the understanding that they are not alone. Oh, well, we join you in that hope. And Shimon Chizek, Director of International Growth in Europe, we thank you for all your efforts, especially with the war in Ukraine, along uh, as you lead that for the Knights of Columbus. If our listeners would like to contribute to, to that effort, which, as you mentioned, is 100% um, t- uh, delivered over to the people in need, how can they do that? Yes, uh, I encourage all the people of goodwill to join our cause and support Ukraine by donating to Ukraine Solidarity Fund, please visit our website, kofc.org slash Ukraine. And you can see uh, all the work that we've done over there of, of, uh, for Ukraine and also ways you can contribute to this cause. And I encourage you to do this. This is a way for you to show that you are not indifferent to the suffering of people who, who suffer from this unjustified war. Well, thank you so much, Shimona, and we will definitely accompany you with our prayers. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. of Columbus show today. Next up is another uh, distinguished guest from the Knights of Columbus. His name is Damien O'Connor and he's the Vice President of Evangelization and Faith Formation. Welcome to the show, Damien. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to join you. You're just up the street from me, as it were. I'm in Miami, and you're in Orlando for for the for your big conference, which I've I've been I've, I've I have attended in the past. One time in Baltimore, it's a, it's a wonderful occasion, um, and it must be very exciting to be there in Orlando. It's absolutely exciting. It's it's our major event of the year, and it's our opportunity to to really um, listen to the message of our Supreme Knight, Patrick Kelly, and what he wants to push forward. But it's also a time to celebrate with our brother knights and their families. Um, it's absolutely wonderful, and I get to travel a lot, and so in, in some ways it's a reunion uh, just to see our brother nights, and I find them extremely inspiring, so um, it's just a huge blessing to be here. And how many people are there for the for the meeting? Um, in total, we're probably, we're just under 2,000, oh, wow. uh, so yeah, there's, there's we have our delegates, and then people bring their families, and honestly, what I find most inspiring is that some of the guys maybe only have two weeks off a year, and yet they pay out of their own pocket to, to come to this because they just love to be around their brother knights from around the world. It's, it's very inspiring. The Knights of Columbus is um, it does many wonderful things, but I think one of the wonderful things it does is to create that, that community for men, right? Uh, the, That's correct. A community of leadership and, and service. That's exactly right. And and we're now being much more intentional and probably the, for several years, we've always, since our founding, we focused on uh, the faith life men, but now we're being more intentional because we we really feel that God's calling us to this, to, to provide that space and that opportunity for men to learn how to pray, to receive faith formation, and to make that part of our structure, uh, not as a, as a program, but literally part of our infrastructure at the council level. So these are very exciting times for us. Men tend to suffer from loneliness, I, I think, in a way that women don't. Is all 
your faith, your evangelization and faith formation predicated on that need of, of that, that men have for community and, and togetherness? Um, to, to a certain extent, yes. And I would also say that we found that, and I think statistically you can look at this, that while I may go to church on Sunday, the average man actually does not have solid friends that are Catholic men that really accompany him in his faith. Exactly. And so what we're, what we're doing with the Knights is really trying to help our men to grow in their faith, to give their lives to Christ. But to do that, you have to learn how to be a person of prayer. So we're not just promoting it, we're very much teaching it. And we shouldn't assume that men know um, even the basics of, of prayer at times. So we assume nothing. So we, we're constantly now teaching, we're constantly trying to create new, uh, use a secular term, but products and things that they can use to help them have that encounter with Christ. But most importantly, we're creating that space through what we now call CORE, C-O-R, Latin for heart. And it's now being integrated. We're still in our pilot stage, but integrating that into the council experience itself, where it's separate from our business meeting. And this is called core. It could be a gathering, or you could call it a meeting. But what they have in during core, what you receive is prayer, faith formation, and fraternity. And it's not a quick prayer. It's ample prayer time together. And men are now joining the nights. They're asking us to join rather than us asking them because they desperately want this experience. And I think you're right. It could be based in loneliness. It could also be based in this this desire uh, to know our Lord better. And so it's it's a very exciting time for us. And the Holy Spirit's moving very quickly. So we're trying to keep up with Him, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's it, again, very exciting times. And if I may say real quickly, when we piloted this a year and a half ago, we hoped that five of our jurisdictions, we have 70-something in the world, we hoped that five would want to pilot this and 21 volunteered. And so now we're a year into this and now we're up to 60. We're not mandating it. We're inviting. And they want to be part of this. They want to grow in their faith. And they want to do it as knights and with their brother knights. And isn't it true that whenever um, the men, whenever the men are involved, mm-hmm. whenever the men improve uh, their connection to God and to each other, the entire um, family and the entire community in the parish uh, benefit also. It seems that the men, when the men spearhead something, everyone comes along. That's exactly right. And and I'm sure Shimon talked about this on our Supreme Night, Patrick Kelly. So you get the man right, you get you get the parish right, you get the community mm-hmm. right. And, um, and many men myself included from time to time, we we forget what it means to be to be a man in a very positive sense and to be a man of faith. Uh, and that's to be courageous. It's meant to um, set the example for others. And all, most importantly, to be there for each other. We have to accompany each other. I just met with some, some sisters that are here and I said, you couldn't do this alone. She said, no, of course I couldn't. And it's the same for us or for laymen too. We can't do this alone. We must be doing this uh, in community, even if it's an intentional community where we leave our homes and come together, uh, but it's so important. And, you know, that goes against that individualist uh, ethos, which is so strong sometimes in America and and, t- and atomizes us and makes us uh, too individualistic. Um, and I, th- I think it's it's really special that the Knights uh, creates, creates uh, that network um, that is so often missing in people's lives, in men's lives especially. I would agree, and I think that the the individualistic approach, or whatever you want to call it, I I don't even know if men know there it's even happening. I don't know that it's intentional. So my message to these to these men is: you don't have to do this alone. You shouldn't. You're not meant to do live your faith alone. You're not meant to live your life alone. You know, we're we're communal by nature. But secular society, and I, I believe it comes from the evil one, is is trying to make us just focus on myself, mm-hmm. and sometimes that um and so we start getting involved in pleasurable things and we're forgetting about finding real joy which can only be found through christ us focusing it's a, it's much a beautiful more cycle right you're you're, you're, really you're going into the spiritual uh cycle of uh you start in one place <laughs> and it grows and grows and you end up better than where you started right i mean you, you also you, you end up in the same place in a sense but on a much higher level that's exactly right and honestly in my personal experience when when i'm grounded in the faith and but you know there's peaks and valleys we all struggle with this but when i'm really feel grounded and i really feel christ in my life i cannot help but want to serve i can't help but want to do mission work because we it's impossible to hold it dead so it one flow right into the into the other thing and and just to be clear this is nothing new it's it may seem like it is for the knights but if you look at the history our history and go back to mcgivney he cared father mcgivney he cared deeply that we were formed in the faith once we joined the knights he wasn't looking for guys already formed but he wanted them to be formed in the faith and the other thing that we're finding sometimes we simply have to connect dots 
And what I mean by that is our men that are doing this incredible charitable work, helping them to understand that you've just been Christ to that person or to that cause and helping them understand, no, he's working through you. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it may seem obvious, but sometimes you have to explain it to people. Like, do you understand how that person, or maybe you gave a wheelchair to a child, they literally encountered Christ through that loving action. Well, I, I happen to, I agree with you. It sounds absolutely wonderful. And next up, we have Dennis Gerber. He's the president and chief executive executive officer at the Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Thank you for having me, Gracie. Earlier, we had Shimon Chizik, who's the Director of International Growth in Europe, uh, working with the, with, with the Ukraine, the, the wonderful work of the Knights in the Ukraine. And yep. we also had Damien O'Connor, who's uh, Vice President of Evangelization and Faith Formation. And you're the CEO of the Charitable Fund, without which none of this could be happening, correct? <laughs> yes, so we have, um, there's two sides to my job. There's the charitable giving through Knights Columbus Charities, um, where uh, Simone and um, um, and Damien, uh, with their projects and the things that they do, that's where a lot of that money comes, which is directly from our members and other donors directly to Knights Columbus Charities. And then I'm so I'm senior director there, and then I'm also president and CEO of Knights Columbus Charitable Fund, which is a tool for generosity for individual Catholics to allow them to make grant grant recommendations in line with their faith and uh, maximize what they get to give to, to charity. Oh, can you explain that um, to yeah. a financial idiot like me and yeah. some of, some, possibly some of our listeners? So, yeah, so Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund is a, is a public charity that sponsors something called a donor-advised fund. And donor-advised funds have gained in popularity over the past 15, 20 years. Some of the big ones are Fidelity Charitable and Charles Schwab Charitable and some of the other secular organizations out there. And, there's, and then there's other organizations that do this too that are um, in the in the faith space but essentially what it is is it's like a charitable giving account almost like a bank account that you can log in to your own portal you make all your contributions into the fund and then you get to grant and receive a tax deduction and then over time you get to make grants to your favorite charities through the portal directly and we take care of all of that um, all the administrative work on that for you being Knights of Columbus Charitable Fund were Catholic focused donor advice fund in terms of the investments are all managed in accordance to the Catholic Church with Knights of Columbus asset advisors. And then when we make grant recommendations out to the favorite charities, uh, to their charities, we ensure that they do not conflict with the teachings of the Catholic Church. So this is a way for people to repose their trust in the Knights of Columbus, that yep. that their money, that they, that pe- because people are generous and Americans yep. give away a lot of money, that yep. their money is going to the right place and is being Correct. used the right way. Yes. And we, last year, we helped um, individual Families give away over $20 million to over 900 charities in three different continents. Oh, that's amazing. And, and this this year, we're doubling that by the end of the year. So, Are these, um, uh, are, do these tend to be people with a lot of money giving big grants? Or is yeah, so we all, have, we have every, everything from some accounts that have a few hundred dollars to other accounts that have seven figure really? uh, seven figure totals in their in their in their funds yes we you know our, our mission at Knights Columbus charitable fund is to inspire Catholics and to empower Catholic organizations to build the kingdom here on heaven uh, here on earth we're really focused on helping to maximize generosity and and radicalize generosity for for Catholics all throughout the country whether they're in the Knights or um, just you know not members of the Knights of Columbus that, that must be very popular because people feel very insecure about um, donating money because yes. because you do it's suddenly a moral action that you're taking right yeah. I mean if you yeah. donate to the wrong cause um, that's doing up to no good you've suddenly yeah. contributed to a cause that could be to you hateful exactly and that's you know I say I help walk our donors we at KCCF we help walk our donors through the minefield of generosity. The there's mind a lot. Of, I like that the minefield <laughs> of generosity. It is a, mine, a it is a minefield. It is it is because you think there's a lot of organizations that on the surface their mission statements seem really great, but when you get down to it, what they are actually doing is is not in line with not in line with what we believe in. People, you know. You, you, you're giving out of the goodness of your heart and when when you when you don't have the same time or expertise that we have you know you, you can you can be inadvertently supporting evil in the world 
Or how about just wasting your money because um, it's going, you know, a huge percentage is going to overhead or to yeah. private airline travel or private jet travel. Yeah. I would yeah, yeah. imagine well, some yeah. people indulge in that. So, yes, yes, exactly. And that's where we we don't do our due diligence based on that, but we could, we help our donors to educate themselves on how they can search for those types of inefficiencies in philanthropy. Yeah, because that's, I'm, I'm sure there's a huge range of uh, causes and, and organizations in that, right? Oh, and gosh. how much money oh, is spent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, we, I mean, there's hundreds of millions of nonprofit organizations in the United States and, and even more throughout the world, NGOs throughout the world. You know, we, we, each, each is guilty until proven innocent, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. So the due diligence that we do on this. So we're very, we're very, um, we're very good at that. And we also just help people formalize their, their charitable giving. And everybody could be a a, a philanthropist. It doesn't matter, you know, the widow's might, uh, the, the widow, and her might, she was a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a Vanderbilt or a Gates or or any any of these other, you know, pick the college and the, the name of the, the building. You can be an everyday generous Catholic and, and be a philanthropist and build that philanthropy and, and involve your family. We have the Gerber Family Fund and my wife and I are the primary advisors, but we involve our, our children in the fund. And all th- we have three girls, 11, 9, and 7. We just had our first boy born a few weeks ago. Congrats. But all three of our girls, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, our girls are all involved in the fund. They have their own logins and, and we help them through and we give them some money and they, they give that to charity. And this is how we build our legacy of philanthropy and generosity. Oh, and what a wonderful uh, teaching tool for for your children to teach them to yeah. to give charity right from the beginning to make that part yeah. of their everyday lives. Yeah, and and as part of part of the Knights of Columbus, you know, this is one of the founding pillars of the Knights of Columbus is charity. And our job as Catholic men is to involve our families, is to provide and and to educate our children in the faith and in generosity, and to help build the church for the future. You know, one thing that that shocks people when they when they hear that stat is that. Uh, Conser- like churchgoers, conservatives and churchgoers, which often goes alike, are, are more generous in their charitable giving than mm-hmm. than people who are secular, material, you know, materialist and secularists. Yep. E- even though those people might feel that they're very virtuous in compared in comparison to, to more traditionally minded people. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is it? I mean, maybe this is just a, a sim- too simple a question to even ask you, but what is it about um, having a good, a, a real faith formation um, that makes people charitable? Yeah, biblical people. People, Christians, Jewish individuals, Muslims, we, we all have the biblical principle of you give and you're going to receive. And it's, it's based in our, in our faith, right? And this is part of our upbringing is helping, helping the needy, helping the poor. I mean, I remember when I was a child, uh, I was in second, third grade, my, my dad, who was always involved in different charities and involved in our parish, I learned through our catechetical program, uh, my Sunday school about giving to the poor. And, you know, and just, we, I was in second grade. And what I did, I was so inspired. I went around the street, my street that I grew up on with a little plastic bag asking people for money. Oh, so, sweet. <laughs> so, but these are the things that we're, you know, it's, it's ingrained in us to be generous. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gone astray a little bit in, in that education and in that formation, but, you know, we, we come back to it as, as we of, get it older. A lot of people rely on the government to, well, you know, I pay a lot of taxes and the government's there for others. What, you know, yep. isn't that enough? Why isn't that enough? Yeah. I, I mean, government's not always the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and if you look at, if you look at, you know, from the nonprofit se- sector, you, you, you know, we spoke before before about educating donors on uh, efficient charities who ma- really maximize the the dollars that they give away. So, like Knights of Columbus Charities, one hundred percent of a gift goes directly to support our charitable efforts. That's an amazing statistic, by the way. So, so we, yeah, I mean, we we not many can do that, and we're we're blessed that we can. So we we could be the tip of the spear in the charitable charitable effort across the across the country, across the world, and the federal government doesn't always know what's best for a local community but our our knights of columbus councils do oh that's true i love that about the knights it's always a, a the subsidiarity principle right yes you're already, exactly you're right you, your hands your hands are in the mix it's not yes. people from far away making decisions yeah. for people they don't know thank you so yeah. much dennis gerber president and ceo of the knights of columbus charitable fund for joining us today on conversations thank you so much And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. 
This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a privilege for me to be with you as we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us this Sunday. As we, like the apostles Peter, James, and John, will accompany Jesus up an exceedingly high mountain and witness him transfigured in glory. As you know, every second Sunday of Lent, we make this journey as we focus on how Jesus, through giving his three closest apostles a foretaste of his divine glory, is preparing them for when they would see him transfigured in blood, pain, and suffering on Good Friday. We focus then on how Jesus spoke there with the great Old Testament figures of the Law and the Prophets, respectively Moses and Elijah, about the upcoming exodus Jesus was to accomplish in Jerusalem, when Jesus, just as Moses led the Israelites from slavery through the Red Sea and the desert to the Promised Land, would lead us through the waters of baptism into his death and the desert of the Christian life into the eternal Promised Land of Heaven. Every year, however, since 1456, the Roman Catholic Church has also celebrated the Transfiguration on August 6th as a means by which we can focus on Jesus' glory in its own right and on the other lessons of this important scene in the life of Jesus, which since 2002 has constituted the fourth luminous mystery of the Rosary we ponder each Thursday. What are those lessons we're supposed to learn? The first is about the exertion Jesus calls us to make as his disciples. He never tells us to stay right where we are, but always summons us to a journey to follow him up an exceedingly high mountain, indeed to the heavenly Jerusalem. Christian life is a dynamic and demanding adventure with Jesus as our alpine guide. The second lesson is about the importance of prayer. Jesus took the apostles on that journey precisely so that they might pray. To pray is to contemplate God. It's far more than an exchange of words or ideas. It's an exchange of persons as God comes to abide in us and have us abide in him. This mutual indwelling is summarized by the experience of contemplation. Just this past Friday, August 4th, we celebrated the memorial of the patron saint of parish priest, St. John Mary Vianney, the Cory of Ars, who loved to talk about the art of prayer with the words of one of his parishioners, the farmer, Louis Chavangion, who when his pastor asked him what he was doing as he knelt before the tabernacle in church, replied, Je l'avis et il m'avis. <coughs> French for I'm looking at him. And he's looking at me. Prayer is, is an exchange of loving glances as we look at God and he looks at us. And the whole process transforms us to look at ourselves, the world, and others with the loving eyes of God. The presence of Moses and Elijah teaches us about how sacred scripture speaks of Jesus, about his life, passion, death, and ultimately resurrection. The cloud that descends at the top of the mountain reminds us that prayer is, as the great Latin aphorism attests, both lumen et numen, both light and cloud. As will be given certain insights, but much because of our finite capacities will remain shrouded in mystery. And God the Father's instruction from the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him, reminds us that prayer is ultimately about our allowing God to speak and seeking out of love to align our life to what he asks. Jesus has the words of eternal life and he wants to plant the seed of his word in us as good soil so that we may bear abundant fruit as branches on the vine and be able to proclaim that saving word to others. These lessons about God's glory, about the exertion the Christian life demands, about the importance of prayer, are relevant to all dimensions of Christian existence. But today I'd like to apply them to two different contexts. The first is the World Youth Day, which is taking place during these days in Lisbon, Portugal. and will conclude this Sunday when 1.5 million people attend Mass with Pope Francis overlooking the majestic Vasco da Gama Bridge spanning the Teju River in the Portuguese capital. World Youth Days are always great adventures in which youth and young adults from across the globe, together with their bishops, priests, and chaperones, make a long journey to meet the Pope and their Catholic brothers and sisters. This is the 37th World Youth Day and follows those that have taken place in Rome, Buenos Aires, Santiago de Compostela, Shestahova, Denver, Manila, Paris, Toronto, Cologne, Sydney, Madrid, Rio, Krakow, and Panama, as well as in home dioceses in intervening years. Beyond the adventure that gets pilgrims to the host city, there's always a long walking pilgrimage within the city to the location where a moving prayer vigil with the Pope takes place on Saturday night and a concluding Mass on Sunday. Just as Jesus did with Peter, James, and John, so the Vicar of Christ leads hundreds of thousands of Jesus' young disciples on pilgrimage 
to teach them the demanding and dynamic aspects of the Christian journey we make together with our brothers and sisters. The theme of this World Youth Day, Mary arose and went with haste, remembers her lengthy teenage journey from Nazareth to Ein Kerem, where St. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. And it points to how we're all called to this journey with Jesus within us. So we seek to bring him to others so that as he did with John the Baptist, he may make those we meet leap with joy. World Youth Days also teach us and all those in physical attendance about the importance of prayer. We come together ultimately to pray for and with each other and for the needs of the whole world. We come to meditate on the power of sacred scripture, not just the Old Testament symbolized by Moses and Elijah, but the new signified by Peter, James, and John. We come to listen to Jesus' words as he calls us to follow him and then to go out to the whole world and proclaim his gospel. The experience of the Easter Vigil of adoring the Eucharistic Lord in the midst of God's creation, together with so many from almost every nation, race, and tongue, is an unforgettable memory of the many World Youth Days I've been privileged to attend. Likewise is the concluding Mass, celebrated amidst far more than a million people, as the same beloved Son of the Eternal Father transfigured on the mountain, transfigured anew in humility on the altar. All teach us the crucial importance of prayer. World Youth Days Third are also meant to lead us to behold God's glory. So many young people receive extraordinary graces on these World Youth Days, in which God reveals himself to them and often what he's asking of them in life. There are also theophanies, as I've witnessed personally in Toronto and Madrid, when massive storms stop on an instant at the word of the Pope. But we likewise see God's glory in a different way as well. St. Irenaeus of Lyon, the great second century French doctor of the church famously taught Gloria Dei vivens homo et vita hominis visio Dei. The glory of God is the human person fully alive and the life of the human person is the vision of God. When we pray, when we contemplate or look at God, when we glimpse him looking at us and guiding us, we become capable of experiencing the life to the full Jesus came into the world to give us. And that's what happens at so many youth days, world youth days. They make the transition from the faith of their parents, godparents, and grandparents to their own personal faith. They recognize that the Lord Jesus cares for them individually too with an infinite love. They often hear him who is the life calling them to serve him as priests, religious, or consecrated. Or as we've seen in some beautiful news stories over this last week, to grasp that their vocation is to the sacrament of matrimony to propose to their fellow pilgrims along the journey to share the rest of their pilgrimage of life. The whole church rejoices at this theophany of God's becoming fully alive in so many of his disciples. Second application, which I'll pre treat more briefly, is to the Holy Eucharist. As you know, we're in the midst of the three-year-plus Eucharistic revival in the church in the United States, and the mystery of the Transfiguration is not just something we mark on August 6th and the second Sunday of Lent each year, but in fact, we relive every Mass. We leave our homes and make the exertion to climb not the Mount of Transfiguration, but the altar of God, where our faith finds its summit and source. It's at Mass that we listen to God's Word, the words of eternal life, strive to become living commentaries of it. We build a booth, not for God, but a tabernacle and a church, so that we can come into His presence and allow Him to transfigure us, as He in return seeks to make us His tabernacle and dwell within us like He did within Our Lady. And at the end of Mass, He doesn't tell us not to tell anybody about what we've seen and heard until He rises from the dead, but risen from the dead, He tells us to go out and share what we've seen and heard with every creature we meet, all the way to the ends of the earth. Every Mass is in fact meant to be a World Youth Day, when we together journey to go up to the altar of God who rejuvenates us and fills us with his joy. So we prepare this Sunday to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's God the Father gets ready to tell us anew, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. We implore the graces we and all our fellow Catholics in the world need, having encountered Jesus, to go in haste to bring him and his salvation to others. This is the means by which, together with them, we and all God's children throughout the world may convene in the eternal eighth World Youth Day of God's children in the celestial mountain of Jerusalem, where Jesus has gone to build a booth, not just for Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John, but for each and us.
Let's go to Lisbon and from Lisbon to the whole world. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com. And you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy. And you go with our prayers. 